For the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the idea of hope. And today what I want to talk to you about is how hope is different than optimism. But before we talk about these two terms, we have to understand what they mean. So what is optimism? Let me illustrate it by telling you this story. There were once two travelers who had gone to a village in the mountains and they were going to a village in the valley. And the story is told by a monk who lived just off of the road in between these two villages. So the story goes that the monk sees a traveler coming down from the mountains and the traveler looks a bit disgruntled and he comes up to him and he says, hey, can you tell me a little bit about the, the village that I'm gonna see down here in the valley? And the monk says, well, what did you find up in the mountains? How was the village up there? And the, the man begins to describe his experience and he says, no one spoke his language. He had to eat super weird food. The weather was horrible and he had to sleep on the floor. It was horrible. Um, and the monk says, well, you're gonna find much of the same in the next village. Then another traveler comes a couple days later from the same direction, heading down into the valley. And he sees the monk and he says, hey, I'm heading to the next village here in the valley. What's it going to be like? And the monk says, well, how is the village in the mountains? And the traveler says, oh, well, no one spoke my language. So I had to kind of speak with hand signals and just try to communicate with people from another culture. And then they served me really strange food, but it was a really cool experience because I could tell it was very authentic to their culture. Um, and on top of that, I got to sleep on the floor, which I'd never done before. So cool. Um, and the weather's way different in the mountains. So it was, it was pretty cold. And it was just like an entirely different world that I got to be a part of. It was so cool. And the monk says, well, you're gonna find much of the same in the next city. So the idea is that optimism simply is a change in our outlook. However, the biblical idea of hope is different than the idea of optimism. Optimism is changing the way that we look at things. We can look at a bad situation, but if we just find the good, then we're going to be able to have a good experience. So it can be a bad experience, but we can find a little bit of good in every single bad experience. The idea of hope in the Bible is different. Hope doesn't move past pain and hurt in the moment. Hope instead waits. And this really gets to the root of what the word hope is in the Bible. There are two Hebrew words that, is, that are translated hope in our Bible. And that's yakal and kavah. And these mean to wait. So um, the first one, yakal, comes up in Genesis 8, 10 through 12. And it says that Noah had to wait, or he had to yakal for weeks for the water to recede, for it to go down. Um, and then the, the word kavah, it actually comes from this root word kav, which refers to a cord. And when you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kavah. It's the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. We see this in Micah. Micah talks about the farmers who both kavah and yakal for the morning dew to give moisture to the land. They're waiting. They're expecting and waiting for the dew. Our focus today is on the good news and the hope that we find in Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel, things are almost the worst that they've ever been 
for the Hebrew people. They were supposed to be God's own people. They built a temple to have Emmanuel dwell with them, right? God with us. They would see the smoke rising up from the sacrifices and they knew that it was just like in the Exodus, whenever God had led his people through the wilderness with a cloud by day, or with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They, they knew that God was with them and they were covenanted with them. They had created an agreement, a, a partnership, and they were his people. He was their God. He loved and cared for them and they lovingly worshiped and honored him. And through this, all the world would come to know the true and living God. It would be like the Garden of Eden, fellowship with the one who made everyone and everything. It was all set up perfectly, except Israel turned from God's presence and sought out other gods. They began to worship idols. They worshiped the thing created instead of the creator. They wouldn't keep the Sabbaths. They neglected the poor, the widow, the outsider, the orphan. And in effect, they completely turned away from God. The result was that Ezekiel and many other Israelites had been exiled from Babylon in a first wave of destruction that came upon Jerusalem as the armies of Babylon came. They left many Israelites there in Jerusalem so that they could keep the land and be able to pay um, taxes essentially to Babylon. They would, they would be able to continue to harvest um, and, and give those things to their overlords in Babylon, right? So with this came just like a small puppet kingdom that was left um, there in Jerusalem. But it's at this time of exile, which is where we find Ezekiel. He was part of that small crew that had been taken initially from Jerusalem. They've been exiled to Babylon, and Ezekiel is called by God to speak to the people and to warn them that if they don't turn to God and put away the idols, stop trusting in military alliances, they will be destroyed. But in Ezekiel's day, uh, the prophets were optimists. The kings, King Zedekiah, he, he knew that they were, they were going to be God's chosen people. They were, the land was going to be restored. They would keep this land forever. They had all the promises in scripture to look back on and to see, yeah, there's nothing that's going to happen. This is just a, a little blip in an otherwise upward trajectory of Israel's greatness. They ignored Ezekiel's cries and they said that God was going to bless them. The, their prophets spoke lies because they wanted things to go well. Ezekiel says it in this way. Um, God spoke out against the prophets in Ezekiel 13, verse 9. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God, because indeed... They have seduced my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace. And one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. The prophets said, we just need to build up the wall. Like, God's going to keep us safe. Like, he wants us to, to rebel against Babylon and trust in these military alliances, and there's going to be peace in Israel again. We don't have to be exiled, which all the prophets had said up to this point, which is God actually speaking to people. But these, these other prophets instead proclaimed peace. 
Their words looked past the situation in a wild fit of optimism, but their optimism simply failed to recognize the mess that Israel was in. They instead counted on encouragements and peace in order to look for thing to, things to get better. Look at the promises. We've just got to trust God uh, that he doesn't want us to go into exile. He wants us here. It's the promised land. Let's rebuild the wall, huh? Then we'll have, a pe- we'll have peace, shalom, that God promised. And it, and it was as if um, their words were just like a flimsy wall that could be knocked down by the rain. It was just a false sense of security. It made it look like they were going to last and like, oh, God's rebuilding his kingdom. But instead, it was all a lie. It was flimsy. In The Fault in Our Stars, John Green tells a story of similar optimism. Augustus and Hazel have both had cancer. Hazel's currently dealing with cancer, and they're in a cancer support group. And they meet, and the story is one of them falling in love. Augustus um, had cancer in his leg, and he had to have it amputated. And both characters have kind of stood at death's doorstep. Um, They've had to face cancer, uh, the reality of cancer taking on their life as a teenager. And as a result, Augustus's view of the world becomes very realistic, maybe even pessimistic. Um, He takes things to be a little bit cynical. um, But his mom, on the other hand, went the other direction. She says, uh, or she, she counts on what Augustus calls encouragements. And encouragements are like little sayings that make you feel better. Hazel describes this situation whenever she walks into that, to Augustus's house and sees these encouragements. It says this, I followed him inside. A wooden plaque in the entryway was engraved in cursive with the words, home is where the heart is. And an entire house turned out to be decorated in such decorations or observations. Good friends are hard to find and impossible to forget. Read an illustration above the coat rack. True love is born from hard times, promised a needlepoint pillow in their antique furnished living room. Augustus's mom calls him a a Debbie Downer and really wishes that he would take on her encouragement. There's a clear sense in the book that his mom is participating in a denial of reality. This becomes all the more clear when the cancer returns and takes Augustus's life. The optimistic phrases and the encouragements They were little more than um, the priest's declaration of peace when there was no peace. Ezekiel, who is really hearing from God and speaking God's message to the children of Israel, offers no such encouragement. He says, this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And he continues saying this for 20 chapters. And then finally, in chapter 33, Jerusalem is destroyed. It happens. All of Israel is dragged into captivity. And all of a sudden, with the completion of God's judgment, there's finally this moving on to the hope that Israel now has, now that they're at rock bottom and they can look up and finally see God. But we can't miss the importance of the process. Israel had to first accept their utter rebellion against God. They had to recognize that they had turned away from God, that they had sought idols. And the only way to hit the reset was to face utter destruction and accept it for what it is. We face the same choice today. We can either recognize our own brokenness and the way that our sins have led to the brokenness around us. 
the way that our selfishness has contributed to our marital problems, the way that our lust and the way that we keep giving in leads us to a quick temper and anxieties that haunt us, the way that our greed has made us forget how to love and care for those around us. And we can recognize what we've done, our sins and our brokenness. Now we've given, we have been the cause of those things. Or we can be optimistic about our sins. We can say things like, it's just been so busy lately. Or I just can't deal with people like that. I'm not normally like that, but that person is just over the top ridiculous. Or I'm just so tired right now. Typically, I'm not like this. I, I just didn't get very much sleep. So I'm a little quick tempered today. Or I'll do better whenever this happens, whenever this is over, whenever we've reached the end of the holiday season. Maybe you're not falling into any of those camps. Maybe you are actually not dealing with this on a sin level, but just on a level of failing to properly care for those around you. Maybe your optimism is like the encouragements that um, Augustus's mom offered to Augustus whenever he was about to die. Maybe your dismissive optimism even has a cloak of godliness. You say things like, oh, your loved one is dying. God's got a plan for you. Just trust. God wants to fix the broken down walls, but sometimes it's not immediate. And when you force the timing, when you rush the fix, you end up with a wall that can't stand the next rainstorm, let alone the next real battle. Hope isn't a quick fix encouragement. Hope is waiting on a person who you know will come through. Hope is the Davidic shepherd king of Ezekiel 34. This finally brings us to our living hope. This isn't a different way to look at bad circumstances, and it's not seeing the good in a bad situation. It's not optimism. It's the promise of rescue to a people undoubtedly swallowed up in their despair. He begins by calling out the leaders who use their God-given power and resources for selfish gain instead of caring for God's people. It says this in Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they are scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Skip to verse 11 and we'll see the true shepherd. For thus says the Lord God. Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among, like, among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be in the high mountains of Israel. They shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. 
I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. And then verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. And then skip to verse 26. I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hands of those who enslave them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord, am their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people. Thus says the Lord, you are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. There's an amazing promise given to people who are right now in captivity. At this point in the passage, they are living in captivity to a foreign people. It would be so difficult to see any hope, any way out of their situation. But God isn't calling them to simply look at their situation and say, hmm, how can I like make the most of a, time, a really bad time? He is giving them a promise. He is giving them a hope who is a person. God's servant, David, in other words, one of David's sons who would inherit the promises made to David, would seek out his sheep scattered all over the earth, the ones who wandered a little ways, the ones who were in Tinbunk too, the ones who had some scrapes, and the ones who were so broken that they couldn't even walk, the ones who were hungry, and the ones who were sick. Those who were afraid would no longer be afraid. There would be no shame. There would be no fear. This son of David would come and become a king who would not just build up a flimsy wall, but create lasting peace comfort, and sustenance for God's people. Matthew 1.1 says these incredible words, the book of the genealogy or the genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And then with all of this in mind, knowing that Jesus is the son of David and knowing this passage that we just read in Ezekiel 34, pay attention to this in John 10, starting in verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
Jesus is our hope. In this season of Advent, we rejoice in Jesus coming into this world, taking on flesh and seeking us out while we were still dead in our sins. And we look forward to the second Advent. We look forward to the Advent of Jesus's return, that we will be with him forever. But until then, we live in between. We live in hope. We recognize our brokenness and the brokenness around us. We're broken and the world is broken. And we don't look past that in optimism. We don't just say, oh, that's not there, everything's fine. But instead, we wait, we lament, we rejoice, and, in, and we do everything in between. And all the while, we trust and wait for the immovable hope that we rest securely in the shepherd who is our rock-solid 